0: Hello and welcome to Prehistory, the Archaeology of the Ancient Near East, with me, Jane. Last episode we finished off the pre-pottery Neolithic, looking at what has often been called the pre-pottery Neolithic collapse, and saw how this wasn't necessarily the case across the Near East. This time we'll start looking at the move from the pre-pottery to the pottery Neolithic across the Near East, looking at the different regions individually to see how each one changes, or not, as we move into this more diverse later stage of the Neolithic. I want to start off looking at an area of the Near East that we've mostly left alone throughout the previous episodes on the pre pottery Neolithic, Anatolia. As geographic regions of the Near East go, Anatolia is pretty much one of the easiest ones to describe, as it basically covers the area made up by modern-day Turkey. We've had a look at the archaeological record from Anatolia a few times already in this podcast, although mostly this has been limited to the eastern and central parts. For a while, it was actually thought that people, that is, modern humans, didn't really arrive in Anatolia full-time until the pre-Pottery Neolithic, as there weren't really any sites dated before this. More recent work, like what we talked about in episode 10 from Pinarbashi, shows that there were people living here full-time back in the Epipaleolithic and the Upper Paleolithic as well. In the pre-Pottery Neolithic, we get farming villages all over central and eastern Anatolia, and these seem to have been more or less tied into the pre-Pottery Neolithic interaction sphere that we saw in the Levant and Mesopotamia. We don't necessarily get sites in Anatolia during the PPN like the ones that we saw in Mesopotamia and the Levant, although we do get some reasonably big villages, especially towards the end of the PPN. The most famous of these is probably Çatalhöyük on the Konya plain in central Anatolia. Çatalhöyük has been excavated on and off since the 1960s, and it's one of the sites about which we know the most, meaning that a lot of what we know about the Neolithic in central Anatolia either comes from Çatalhöyük or in some way is compared with it. This site seems to have been first settled as far as we know, reasonably late in the PPNB. Or, at least, the earliest evidence that we have found so far for people living here comes from pretty late, from about 7,300 or likely even as late as 7,100 Cal BCE, meaning that what we're looking at is the very end of the PPNB. Most of the evidence that we have for the Neolithic at Chatalhoyuk, therefore, comes from after the PPNB, from the pottery or ceramic Neolithic, making it a great example to look at when we're looking at the Ceramic Neolithic in Central Anatolia. I say that Çatalhöyük was probably founded at the end of the PPNB, and that it was a big site, but it's not exactly entirely certain how big it was when it was first founded. The only way to be sure of exactly how big Çatalhöyük was from the very beginning of people living there would be to dig the entire site down to the earliest levels or at least to dig a lot of different parts of it spread out across the site, down to virgin soil, to see how big the very earliest settlement was. This is actually a pretty common issue with archaeological sites, especially when we're talking about big tells, with centuries or millennia of settlements stacked on top of one another. Tell sites, which basically just means these big sites with deep accumulations of lots of settlements stacked one on top of the other, usually forming a distinctive hill, all have problems with working out how big the earlier occupations were. This is something that we'll see again and again in this podcast, and I'll probably come back to it a few times because it's actually a really important issue. When we dig a site, we know that people live there during the time periods that we dug through, but we can't usually tell for certain whether or not people were living there in earlier periods that we haven't dug yet, Or, if we have what looks like a gap in the settlement, we don't know if people might have lived there during this gap, but just in a smaller settlement on only one part of the site. With a one-hectare village that was occupied for a few hundred years, this often isn't a problem. The site is small enough and flat enough that we can excavate around and find the edges of the settlement in several areas, and dig down to levels where we definitely don't have any evidence of human settlement, what we call virgin soil. But if it's a really big site that was occupied for a while, there's usually so much settlement that it would take decades to dig down to virgin soil in even one part of the site. If it's a hundred-hectare city, or even a 13-hectare big village like Shatal Hayuk, this might give us a good idea of when people first settled in at least this one part of the site. But it doesn't mean that there isn't a really small village from an even earlier period sitting undiscovered at the bottom of a different area of the tell. While the accumulation of centuries or millennia of people living in the same place can make it pretty tricky to figure out a lot about what was happening in the really early levels of settlement at a tell site, they do at least have the big advantage of being really easy to find. These are big artificial hills. They kind of stick out. Even the pretty short ones can be seen by mapping out the contours of a landscape. Sites that were occupied for shorter periods anywhere from a couple of decades to a few hundred years, often are not quite as easy to find. These are what we often call single period sites, or flat sites. Flat is definitely the distinctive feature here, as these don't make a handy little lump in the landscape to make them easier to find. Flat sites sometimes erode out of the landscape, or reasonably recent ones might, like maybe Roman or later sites, and they might have bits of wall peeking out of the ground. When we're talking about the Neolithic though, or earlier, or even much later, mostly these sites are completely buried and hidden. There are a few ways to find them though. One is just by luck. If someone wants to dig out ground for a new house, or put in a basement, or is digging down for some other reason, they might happen to come across some archaeological remains. With any luck, they'll notice this and they'll mention it to an archaeologist so that we can come and have a look. Or, if it's something more major, like building some houses or building a new road, then there are archaeologists who will dig some exploration trenches to make sure first that this new road isn't going to smash straight through an ancient site. At least, not before someone's had a chance to excavate it first. Another way that we can find these hidden flat sites is something inventively called field walking. This is pretty much just what it sounds like. If you want to get fancy with the naming, you can also call it foot prospection. You get a group of people together, pick a field, preferably one that's just been plowed so that the dirt has all been turned over, line up a meter or a couple of meters apart, and walk in a straight line looking at the ground. If you find a piece of pottery or a stone tool or anything like that, then you mark where it is, and what it is, and you look for any areas where these artifacts cluster together. With any luck, there'll be a site buried underneath, just deep enough to avoid other discoveries, and just shallow enough that the plough has scooped up a little bit of the material. Of course, if the site's buried too deep, or if it's under a forest, or if it's under a modern city, then it's a little bit harder. The third way is using some more techy bits of prospection. Things like ground-penetrating radar, and other ways to look for buried structures underground. A lot of these either only work in some landscapes, or they're expensive so you have to hire fancy equipment and specialists in order to have a look. So it can get very expensive to do any sort of large area. Generally you want to have some idea of where sites might be before you give it a try. All of this means that something like a tell site does tend to get excavated first, because we know where these are. When you're looking at time periods where we tend to get a lot of little villages that are only occupied for a couple of hundred years, it can mean that it's a lot harder to find the sites and find out what was happening in the period, because most or all of these sites are essentially hiding. On the upside for us, Chatalhayuk is both a big and distinct mound that's easy to find, and it's also one that's been excavated for several decades. So we have at least some idea of how big the Neolithic settlement was and how it changed over time. As it was first settled so late, most of the information that we have about Neolithic Chatalhayuk comes from the Pottery Neolithic, or, as it's known in Anatolia, the Ceramic Neolithic, which starts about 7,000 cal BCE. During the Ceramic Neolithic in Anatolia, we see some of the same changes that we see in other parts of the Near East. Namely, we see people starting to use pottery. This isn't too much of a surprise, as it's why we haven't changed the name for the time period. In the case of Anatolia, though, this isn't the most noteworthy thing that happens at this time. One thing that this part of the Neolithic is known for in Anatolia – perhaps the biggest or the most interesting thing that it's known for – is the end of an oddness that we saw during the pre-Pottery Neolithic. I said earlier that we had PPN settlements across eastern and central Anatolia. This is true, and not particularly unusual, as we have them pretty much everywhere else across the Near East. The odd part comes when we look farther west. Our classic pre-pottery Neolithic villages, with their collections of houses, communal buildings, domesticated plants, domesticated animals, and stone tools, spread across Anatolia only about as far as central Anatolia, at least based on everything that we found out thus far. We do have at least one PPN farming village just to the west of central Anatolia in the Lakes region, which seems to have been settled from as early as 8200 Cal BCE, namely the site of Hachilar. The Lake District is just immediately to the west of Central Anatolia, with valleys connecting it easily to the well-researched and well-settled areas on the Konya Plain. So it's a strong possibility that what we're really looking at is just a little bit of movement of people overland to the west from Central Anatolia, but probably limited to this one small region right next door. Of course, the early dates from Hachilar come from some less than reliable radiocarbon dates that were made several decades ago from an old excavation. So they give us something to argue about quite extensively until someone else can excavate other old areas of the site and get a series of new dates. Apart from this, the rest of Asia Minor west of central Anatolia was still inhabited by hunter-gatherers. These were different from the epipaleolithic groups of people that we saw in the rest of the Near East. And in terms of their way of life and their stone tools, they had a lot more in common with the Mesolithic hunter-gatherers from Europe. The dividing line, both between, as far as we can tell, Mesolithic and Epipaleolithic groups, as well as the spread of pre-Pottery Neolithic farming villages, seems to be the highlands of Central Anatolia. Pre-Pottery Neolithic farmers made it to this midpoint of Anatolia early in the PPN, and then they just sort of seemed to stop and hang out in Central Anatolia for over a thousand years. After about 7,000 cal BCE, Neolithic villages start to turn up in the western parts of Anatolia and all the way across Asia Minor to the Black Sea. The whole rest of the western part of Asia Minor wasn't necessarily rapidly turned over into farming villages right at 7000 Cal BCE, and was more of a patchwork process across different regions. But this was still the time when we start to see the westward movement starting again. The question of why we have this delay in the westward spread of farming, either of the farmers themselves or of the idea of farming through existing hunter-gatherer populations, is still something that remains pretty unresolved in archaeological research in this region. It would be easy to assume that this delay, and its end, was down to something as simple as the spread of the common use of pottery, or perhaps the arrival of domesticated cattle, which don't seem to have made it into central Anatolia before about 7,000 cal BCE, or perhaps the breakup of the PPNB interaction sphere caused Neolithic groups in central Anatolia to look around for new relationships and new sources of raw materials. Or perhaps it was none of those things. Or maybe all of them at once. We don't actually know yet. And unlike with so many of the big mysteries that we've talked about in the archaeological record, this particular mystery hasn't even yet yielded a nice and tidy overarching theory which can be proven wrong later. What we have instead is a growing body of information as to what was happening across Anatolia, both during the pre-Pottery Neolithic as well as after 7,000 Cal BCE. Another thing that Anatolia has in common with the other parts of the Near East is the occasional, and pretty recent, finds of pottery from the pre-pottery Neolithic. These are still slightly argued about, as to whether they count as actual pottery vessels or just accidentally fired clay containers, like we saw in other parts of the Near East, such as at Ganstara in the Zagros Mountains. Pre-pottery Neolithic potential pottery is pretty much limited to the site of Bonchulo Hoyuk on the Konya Plain in central Anatolia actually pretty close to Shatalhöyük. Bonchuluhöyük was occupied about 8300 to 7800 Cal BCE, and it's laid out actually pretty similarly to Shatalhöyük. Excavations here found 77 fragments of pottery, made from a range of types of clay, from the very coarse and grainy to the very fine and smooth. They cover the three main ways of making pottery, with some sherds seeming to have been pinch-pulled into shape out of a lump of clay, some being rolled into slabs and pushed together, and some being rolled out into coils that were layered together and smoothed out. So while Bangchuk Luhoyuk hasn't produced heaps of pottery sherds, there is actually a surprisingly wide variety of them. The structure of the clay, when looked at under a microscope, doesn't seem to have been processed all that much. In some cases, it was more high clay mud rather than pure clay. The vessels these pot sherds came from were also all fired at only pretty low temperatures, below about 500 or 600 degrees centigrade. This low temperature is one of the reasons why they're a little bit suspicious as actual pottery. Low firing temperatures are not unknown, but if we think of something like lime plaster production, which we saw across parts of the Near East, this involved firing limestone to about 800 degrees centigrade. Of course, we don't have any evidence of lime plaster from Ponchuklu, so it might just be that, while high-temperature firing was known across many parts of the Near East, these particular people didn't necessarily know how to get such high temperatures. What is interesting is that these potsherds are of a similar date to the ones that were found in the southern Levant, at Kfar HaHoresh, which makes it a little bit harder to argue that they really were accidentally fired dry clay containers. They also come in a range of shapes, some of which are clearly definitely pottery vessel shapes, like bowls and not just the large, blocky, dried clay bins that we found in other areas. So while they're not universally accepted as evidence of the actual and intentional use of pottery vessels, Bonchuk Hoyuk joins Kfar Hahoresh in suggesting that pottery was probably not completely unknown in the Near East, throughout at least some parts of the pre-pottery Neolithic. Apart from this rare find of early, maybe pottery, the earliest evidence for the use of pottery vessels that we have in Anatolia comes from after 7,000 cal BCE, from Çatalhöyük as well as from a series of other sites across eastern, central, and western Anatolia. This use of pottery is something common that ties together the Neolithic groups across Anatolia in the 7th millennium BCE, that is, from 7,000 to 6,000 cal BCE. As with the rest of the Near East, though, the different regions of Anatolia saw different changes during the pottery Neolithic. If we look at the main area of PPNB settlement in Central and Eastern Anatolia, then we end the PPNB with farming villages mostly made of closely packed houses. Not every village has exactly the same layout, but most of the sites at least in Central Anatolia during the pre-Pottery Neolithic, sites like Çatalhöyük or Khanhassan III, seem to favor a layout of really tightly packed neighborhoods. There were streets in between the neighborhood blocks of houses, but no streets in between the individual houses of a neighborhood. The houses don't share walls, but the walls of the buildings were built right next to one another, with no space to move in between them. They didn't even have doors to the houses and ground level, as far as we can tell. What they had instead was flat roofs of timber beams with big slabs of mud brick laid in between them, and everything plastered into place, with an opening at the top to get in and out, probably with a ladder. Sometimes, like at Kanhasan 3, we even have evidence of houses having more than one floor. In other settlements, though, they look all to have been pretty much single-story. The houses and neighborhoods being so tightly packed together meant that the only way to get into your house would be to climb up at least one story from the street level and walk across the rooftops of your neighbors to get into your own roof entrance. So presumably, the people living in each of these neighborhoods would have known one another pretty well or were at least more connected than they were to people living in different neighborhood compounds. There are gaps between the houses within individual neighborhoods, but these seem to have been only used for some sort of storage or as rubbish dumps, and not as an open space for people to use. Outdoor activities probably took place on the rooftops, which would have made good communal open spaces, unless it was raining, in which case you wouldn't want to be walking around too much on mud and mud plaster roofs. At least, not if you wanted to stay friends with your neighbors, since no matter how close you are, no one likes getting an unexpected skylight. With the change into the ceramic Neolithic from about 7,000 Cal BCE, we don't really see many changes to the way that houses were built or laid out together, at least not across central Anatolia. We mostly continue to see clustered together neighborhoods of attached houses, like the ones that we have at Chatal Continuing from the pre-Pottery Neolithic into the first stage of the Ceramic Neolithic from about 7,000 to 6,600 or 6,500 Cal BCE, This lack of change wasn't just something that happened at settlements that were occupied during the PPN, and settlements that we find that have been newly founded in this early Ceramic Neolithic also have this clustered neighborhood layout. While the layout of early Ceramic Neolithic villages seems to have stayed pretty much the same as those of the late pre-Pottery Neolithic, we do have some changes. At Çatalhöyük, the big change is that we don't have any PPNB collapse. While in some other parts of the Near East, like we saw last time, the big narrative was that the megasites collapse at the end of the PPNB, at Chatal Hayuk, the site actually grows in size over the course of the early Ceramic Neolithic, getting up to about 13.5 hectares during this period. The site not only grows, but it seems to gobble up people from other villages in nearby parts of the Konya Plain, as, despite a lot of effort being put into looking for other sites in the area, it seems to be the only settlement around at the time. Within Chatalhöyök itself, we seem to get a change in house design, with a move from coating the insides of houses with lime plaster to coating them in fine mud plaster. We also have some decoration on the insides of the houses, both with molded bits of mud plaster put in along the walls, as well as some simple geometric and other decorations painted on the walls themselves. These become more of a thing in the early ceramic Neolithic, particularly towards the end of it. These decorative moldings and paintings were also found at other sites newly founded in the early ceramic Neolithic, like Erbaba Hoyuk. Although the walls here were not as well preserved, so we mostly have evidence of the painting only from the floors. Apart from this though, the main difference between the later pre-pottery Neolithic and the early ceramic Neolithic in the central and eastern parts of Anatolia really just seems to be the introduction of pottery. The pottery that we find from sites in the few hundred years right after 7,000 cal BCE is mostly, reasonably thick, and made into fairly simple shapes. It also doesn't necessarily seem to have been a super common part of daily life, at least based on how infrequently we find the potsherds when we're digging through these early Ceramic Neolithic layers at sites. The big change that we see in the Ceramic Neolithic here isn't really then something that happens right at the beginning of the time of pottery. Instead, the big changes to life seem to have happened a few hundred years after people started using pottery, from about 6600 or 6500 Cal BCE. The most noticeable single change that we see is that we lose the large individual settlements. Some of these, like Chatel seem to have had people living in them, but maybe not as many as before, and the settlement shrinks back to the size of a normal small village rather than its 13.5 hectare big village these villages are scattered around the landscape rather than everyone living in one big central settlement. Unsurprisingly, our best example of this in central Anatolia is Çatalhöyük. Like I said, it grew in size in the early part of the Ceramic Neolithic, and we lost evidence for other settlements around it in that part of the Konya Plain. After about 6600 Cal BCE, as we move into the late Ceramic Neolithic, this changes. As chetal shrinks back down in size, other little villages pop up all over the plain, changing it from the big focus of settlement to just one little village among many. This doesn't seem to have been something that was limited just to the Konya plain, with the change to a larger number of little villages spread out seeming to happen across all of central Anatolia. These are small villages, usually not occupied for more than a few hundred years, and they're mostly these flat sites that I mentioned earlier. These, of course, can be some of the hard ones to find. But, on the upside for several areas of Anatolia, including the Konya Plain in central Anatolia, archaeologists have put in the foot traffic to walk fields across quite a bit of the plain. So we can have an idea of when these villages were missing during the early Ceramic Neolithic, and when they show up all over in the late Ceramic Neolithic. At Çatalhöyük itself, we also see a change to the houses. Some of what we see was happening already, with the interior decoration of the houses themselves. The mud plaster moldings and the wall paintings that were becoming more common over the course of the early Ceramic Neolithic are more common still during the late Ceramic Neolithic. And we also see a wider range of designs on the walls and the floors, with paintings and moldings not only of geometric shapes, but also of animals, and some pretty elaborate designs. An example of this is the elaborate hunting scenes of large wild animals surrounded by frolicking human figures. Clay stamps have been found in some parts of the site with geometric or animal designs, and the theory is that these were used to stamp out the decorations on the walls. The layout of the houses themselves also changes, and not just at Çatalhöyük. We see a change from tightly packed neighborhoods to groups of houses laid out together around a communal open space, with the houses each having their own door at ground level. Not every village in central Anatolia changes over to this new layout, and some continue the pattern of tightly clustered neighborhoods of houses into the late ceramic Neolithic. Even where the old clustered neighborhoods have changed to people having their own front doors at ground level, the open spaces that these doors all look onto were on the inside of a neighborhood block, with only a narrow way of getting in from the outside, suggesting that the community at the neighborhood level was still very important, even if everyone in the settlements, like Chital Hayuk, had given up on the truly nested communal living of running across one another's rooftops. While the layout of settlements was more of a nudge than a major revolution, there are what seem to be more widespread changes to life. One of these is the way that the stone tools were made. Anatolia is one of the main places where obsidian was coming from when it was being spread around the Near East in the pre-Potter Neolithic, so it probably wouldn't surprise you to hear that the stone tools that we get in Central and Eastern Anatolia are mostly made out of obsidian. That remains pretty much the same, from the pre-Pottery Neolithic into the Early Ceramic Neolithic, and again into the Late Ceramic Neolithic. The way that the tools were made out of this does change, though. In the Late PPNB and the Early Ceramic Neolithic, we mostly see the use of blade-like flakes, flakes, and tools made from flakes chipped off of irregular cores with opposed striking platforms. In the Late Ceramic Neolithic, this changes, to the use of a lot more pressure flaking, with bullet-shaped cores used to make prismatic blades. This means blades that were made with a lot of little bits pressure flaked off of them, which give them a faceted appearance, like the faceted sparkle of a cut diamond. This means that people had a lot more control over the details of the finished shape, and it also means that they're really pretty. We also see some changes in the pottery, which does seem to have become a lot more common in daily life during this period. If we look at how often potshares were found from the excavations of the Hayuk between the early Ceramic Neolithic and the late Ceramic Neolithic, It's pretty rare in the Early Ceramic Neolithic, but becomes a lot more common in the Late Ceramic Neolithic. This early pottery is thick, plant-tempered, or rather made with, some vegetal matter, and mostly a sort of cream or light gray color. Sometimes the outside's been burnished, or polished. At the change from the Early to the Late Ceramic Neolithic, these pots are more likely to be made with crushed rock or other mineral pieces inside the clay for stability, rather than the earlier vegetal matter. The surfaces of the pots are darker rather than the old cream colour. Usually they're black, brown, or reddish-brown, and now we have both thicker as well as also thin and delicate vessels. Towards the end of the late ceramic Neolithic, light-coloured pots come back into fashion, along with ones that have been painted with a fine coating of red clay, known as a slip. We also see a change to some of the other items made of clay. I've already mentioned this in the decoration of the houses and the stamps that were found that seem to have been used to make these. After about 6500 Cal BCE, we find more of these from the shape of animals, while the earlier ones were much more just geometric shapes. We also seem to have a bit of a change in the figurines, or the little clay images of people. In the early Ceramic Neolithic, we get a lot more male figurines, sometimes people, and sometimes just particular parts of male anatomy that are um, distinctively male. In the later Ceramic Neolithic, this seems to shift to more figurines of women, mostly curvy, nude women. Both of these are thought to be either fertility figures or depictions of some aspect of the local gods, with a change over time in which fertility aspects, or which deities, are being represented. After about 7,000 Cal BCE, we start to see Neolithic villages turning up to the west of central Anatolia, both in the nearby Lakes region, and more generally into the west of Anatolia and Asia Minor, towards the Aegean coast. After the long pause in the westward expansion of Neolithic farming villages in Anatolia, when this spread starts up again after about 7,000 cal BCE, in some cases it seems to move pretty quickly, with villages turning up across the western part of Anatolia, both in areas immediately to the west like the lakes, but also all the way to the coast of the Aegean Sea, within 100 to 200 years. In the Lake District region just west of Central Anatolia, we do have some very limited evidence of Neolithic villages before the 7000 Cal BCE, like I said before, with the site of Hachilar. The deepest levels of this site, which gave the early radiocarbon dates from the pre-pottery Neolithic, are complicated. No pottery was found on these levels, but the excavated area was small. Small enough that they didn't even manage to get the layout of a single house. These excavations, and the dates that they provided, were also done more than 50 years ago. So, as with many old radiocarbon dates, there is some argument as to how accurate the dates actually are. What was found in these older excavations, at the oldest part of the site, was a bit of a house and courtyard with lime plastered floors that were colored red with ochre, similar to PPN houses from central Anatolia. None of the later levels on top at Hatchilar had these red floors, So, it got a bit complicated a few years ago when more recent excavations of the site found another red, lime plastered house floor. This time though, with six potsherds pressed directly into the floor plaster. Unfortunately, we don't have radiocarbon dates for this yet. Of course, we've also seen from Hoyuk that pottery in Asia Minor before 7000 BCE did happen. Although, we can't be sure that the two houses with red floors both date to the same time period, as they come from different parts of the site. And, like I said, we don't yet have radiocarbon dates for this recently excavated red-floored house. So the earliest occupation of the lakes is still something that's argued about. What we see after about 7,000 BCE is a lot less argued about than whether or not anyone was living here before 7,000 BCE. From about 6,900 BCE or so we see houses built probably from wattle and daub or mud brick, with or without stone foundations. Wattle and daub basically means a combination of a wooden frame with mud plaster sort of on top. These houses are arranged in a series of wide streets or open courtyards in each village, with some houses grouped together sharing walls, and other houses set separately with space in between them. While we haven't yet excavated enough of these small villages from 7,000 to 6,500 Cal BCE to be entirely certain of how these early small villages were distributed around the landscape in the lakes, from about 6,500 Cal BCE we have more information, and the region seems to have been made up of small villages dotted along the landscape, usually on the plains of river valleys near a good source of water. All of these are small, much like what we see around this time in central Anatolia. Pottery from these early Neolithic villages in the lakes is pretty rare, about 7,000 to 6,500 cal BCE. As we saw in central Anatolia, it becomes more common after about 6,500 cal BCE, and we have more finds of it for comparison. The early pottery from this region was made with mineral temper, the colors being pretty similar to what we saw in central Anatolia, with pale pinks, creams, and beiges, as well as dark brown and dark gray. The shapes are also simple, with basic bowl shapes, sometimes elongated into jugs. There seems to be a change between the pottery from before and after 6500 Cal BCE, with more jars with narrow openings, called whole-mouth jars, to ones with wider openings and handles for carrying them, or for suspending them from a carrying strap. From about 6500 Cal BCE, darker colors of pots and more polished or burnished surfaces come into fashion, similar to the changes that we saw in Central Anatolia, But with local differences in the specific colors and shapes preferred. We also get finds of more things made of clay, namely more figurines. Here in the lakes, the notable type of figurines that we see from 6500 Cal BCE is similar to what we see in central Anatolia, with lots of plump naked ladies. Sometimes these are found complete, and sometimes we just find a broken off head or another part of the body. In the rest of western Anatolia, or pretty much everything in between central Anatolia and the Aegean, these little farming villages are found dotted across the landscape from as early as 6900 or 6800 Cal B.C.E., such as at the site of Ulucha which is so far west in western Anatolia that it's very nearly on the coast at the Aegean Sea. Excavations here have found houses with lime plastered floors and walls made out of slabs of mud brick, sitting tightly together next to one another with their walls touching, or close together with only a narrow walkway in between. These houses seem to be mostly one-roomed rectangles, with doors at ground level, leading out onto streets, rather than onto the enclosed courtyards or rooftop-only access that we saw more of in central Anatolia. These seem to be single-family homes, with life structured much more around the level of the family than around the level of the neighborhood. Some houses have dense concentrations of spindle whorls and loom weights, both of which are used for making textiles suggesting that either that some of these houses specialized more than others in making textiles, or that some people would share the same tools for making textiles between multiple households. Stamp seals here were found in houses near this weaving equipment, suggests that these stamps might have been used not to decorate the houses, but perhaps to decorate the textiles. Portable objects like these, including the seals, as well as the loom weights, spindle whorls, and figurines, and also pendants, seem to all have become more common from the second half or the last quarter of the 7th millennium BCE, so from 6500 or 6300 or 6200 BCE, and that's all been suggested to mean that individual households were becoming more independent, and were becoming more of a focus of daily life rather than things at the community level. Pottery is also not particularly common in the earliest levels of many of these settlements in western Anatolia, and it becomes much more common with a greater density of pot sherds turning up after about 6600 or 6500 BCE. At some sites, such as Höyük, also in western Anatolia, we see some changes in the way that pots were made before and after 6500 Cal BCE. With a change between two types of mineral temper, and also a change to having more effort being put into making the pots smooth, even, and generally nicer-looking. Here, as in the lakes, other ceramic items, such as figurines and stamps, also turn up mostly after about 6500 Cal BCE. The pottery here is a mix of cream, grey, and brown and red, and it's similar to the pottery found in the lakes region, which is a little bit farther to the east. As in the lakes, and also in central Anatolia, the preference for which colors of pots were more common changes through time, with a mix of creams and browns shifting through the centuries to a preference for red and for burnish or polished pots. There are also changes over time to the shapes of these vessels and the types of the handles used for them, but they're not exactly the same as the changes that we saw in the lakes, mostly showing a continuation of the same types and shapes of handles and pots, with little tweaks in fashion of their appearance over the centuries. The relative rarity of pottery on settlements here across western Anatolia, as well as in the lakes before about 6500 cal BCE, even though Neolithic farming villages are present from soon after 7000 cal BCE, suggests that pottery became popular at a different rate than the spread of farming or of the actual farmers themselves. This suggests that the spread of the regular use of pottery across communities in Anatolia and other parts of the Near East. Probably wasn't a big part of why we see Neolithic villages beginning to spread west after 7000 cal BCE, as it looks like the technological fashion for using pottery as part of daily life may either have arrived later or have been pretty rare amongst people living in the villages in this western part of Anatolia. This does make some sense, too, since we saw pottery being a lot less common in central Anatolia in the local early ceramic Neolithic, so up to about 6500 cal BCE, and then more common afterwards. So it isn't a big stretch to see it as also being used only really rarely, or not being used at all by groups in the West in these same centuries. Some of the changes that we see over time in the shape, color, and the manufacture of pottery may have been only a matter of changes in fashion. But some of it also seems to relate to the changes in the way that the pottery itself was used. There have been some arguments that these changes from about 6500 Cal BCE were due to the more common use of pottery for cooking. This is not to say that none of the pots produced by people before this date were ever used for cooking, but more that they started to become a more everyday part of how food was prepared. And because of this, they became more common, and they also saw changes to the shapes that would adapt to different styles of cooking. There is some evidence for this, such as finds of fire-cracked rock used for something called hot rock cooking, which is where you heat up stones directly in the coals of a fire, and then drop them into water to heat it up, or to keep it hot, without having to put the container directly into the fire. We see this evidence for hot rock cooking at Parcin Höyük in its earliest levels, but these cracked rocks then disappear at around the same time that the pottery changes and becomes more common. This may have been part of the reason for changes in the pottery across some parts of Anatolia, but there's a lot of diversity here across several regions, and there are a lot of potential reasons why people might have changed the fashion or the technology. So, for now, it's still kind of a wide-ranging argument. Western Anatolia is a lot farther away from the big sources of obsidian that were popular in many areas of the Near East during the pre pottery Neolithic, and which were still some of the main sources for obsidian for sites in central Anatolia during the ceramic Neolithic. These Western Anatolian villages relied mostly on local sources of stone for their stone tools. In the earliest centuries of the Neolithic, obsidian here is a lot more rare, at about 1% or less of the stone tools. What we find here, though, isn't necessarily coming from the east, as there are sources of obsidian on the Aegean island of Milos, near Crete, which is mostly where the obsidian in western Anatolia comes from. Later on in the Neolithic, mostly after about 6500 Cal BCE, the contacts and trade for this Melian obsidian looks to have been more regular, with sites getting more obsidian for their stone tools. Although, this increase takes obsidian up to about 20% or so of stone tools, rather than the 95% or so that we see in places like central Anatolia. These sites used a variety of techniques for making chip stone, although one of the more common ones was pressure flaking of blades and flakes. In the more northern part of western Anatolia, these were made using bullet cores, similar to what we see in central Anatolia, with more diversity in approaches seen in the southern parts and in the lakes. While there are some of these technical similarities, the more specific aspects of stone tool production in Western Anatolia are not just a variation of stone tool making techniques from Central Anatolia, and instead they are actually their own local technical traditions. So even though farming villages in Western Anatolia aren't thousands or even hundreds of kilometers or miles from the ones in Central Anatolia, and even within only the first few hundred years of us finding farming villages in Western Anatolia, these already have developed their own local style. We can see this in the stone tools, but also in the preference for different colors or shapes of pottery, and even a bit in how it was made. The houses are still rectangles of mostly mud brick or other earth or earth and wood construction, and most of them still seem to have had flat roofs. However, the layout of these houses into villages and how the houses were decorated has also been adapted to different local habits. What we see in Anatolia is several similar patterns happening across different regions, with villages of rectangular houses, food production based on domestic plants and animals, and some pottery vessels. In each of these parts of Anatolia, we have differences in the structure of life before and after 6500 Cal BCE, but the changes that we see are not the same in each part. Houses in the different regions were made out of different materials, sometimes with the same or sometimes with different ways of finishing off and decorating the insides. Their layout changes over time in most regions, with an overall greater focus on small groups or individual houses with their own private space. But this isn't necessarily the same everywhere, and it's not necessarily changing everywhere at the same time. Pottery is less commonly used before about 6500 Cal BCE, and is generally more commonly used everywhere after this point. But the way of making the pots, the colors, and the shapes varies from one region to the next. There are common features between some areas in the way that the stone tools were made, and in several areas there is a greater use of pressure flaking and bullet cores after about 6500 cal BCE. But this did not happen everywhere, and other techniques for making tools existed alongside pressure flaking to a greater or lesser degree in different regions. What we see here then is almost a miniature version of the rest of the Neolithic in the Near East with different regions having some connections to one another, but also taking their own approaches to daily life and developing their own local styles. The end of the pre-Pottery Neolithic after about 7,000 Cal BCE did cause some significant changes to life in Anatolia as a whole, mainly the expansion of farming villages to the west. In areas that were already full of farming villages, though, the noticeable changes don't happen until several hundred years later, during the Ceramic Neolithic, rather than at the start of it, as we might have expected, if the pre-pottery Neolithic collapse had actually been a collapse. Thank you for listening to the Prehistory Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach me at prehistorypodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to see some of the villages, houses, pottery, or figurines that I've talked about today, you can find these on the website at prehistorypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please give the podcast a rating and a review on your platform of choice to help others find it. And come back and join us next time, when we'll take a look at how societies changed during the pottery neolithic of the Levant.